want to talk to you today about counting the cost. I want to encourage you. Actually, I want to make time for you to spend some time today to count the cost of the most important decision. What will I do with my life? What will I base it on? Whom will I follow? And this is often misunderstood. It is not primarily something that we do with a great deal of emotion. Mostly it requires a very focused mind. Any good decision requires a very clear understanding of what are the gains and what are the benefits involved in deciding this or not deciding this. A friend of mine pointed out that the word decide contains the same little Latin root as the word for homicide, to eliminate, to cut off, to be separated from other possibilities. And Jesus would talk about this sort of thing quite often. Dallas Willard points out in Renovation of the Heart on page 66, Jesus uses what can sound like quite shocking language. If you come to me, Jesus says, and do not prefer me over, do not hate, your own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, your own life, you cannot be my apprentice. And of course, many people hear that and think, well, I guess I'm in. I can't stand my family. You know, Jesus must be really excited about having me on board. But of course, he's not saying you hold them in contempt. He's saying you must put following me if you're going to do that above every other inducement, every other benefit, every other relationship. And then he uses another very shocking image. Whoever does not come after me carrying his own cross cannot be my apprentice. That is in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, right after he talks about hating people in your family. The cross, Dallas writes, is an instrument of death, of losing your life. The teaching here is exactly the same as in the statements about losing and finding our lives. It is one of comparative costs. Those this is key, those who are not genuinely convinced that the only real bargain in life is surrendering ourselves to Jesus and his cause, the only real bargain in life is abandoning all that we love to him and for him, cannot learn the other lessons Jesus has to teach us. They cannot proceed to anything like total spiritual transformation. Not that he won't let us, but we simply cannot succeed. If I tell you you can't drive an automobile unless you can see, I'm not saying I will not let you, but you cannot succeed even if I do. He goes on on page 67, the impression gained by most who hear about counting the cost of following Jesus is about how terrible and painful that cost is. There's a quite famous book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship. And I expect for many, many people, if they hear that phrase, they think of the weight or the burden or the awfulness of it. And they think that process, count the cost, is mostly an emotional one. Oh, it's going to be so bad. I'm going to be so miserable. You have to anticipate now how miserable you'll be then as a kind of an emotional process of gearing up for just an awful way of life. But counting the cost it is an accounting process. It is a cognitive process. To count the cost, he says, is to take into consideration both the losses and gains of all possible courses of action to see which is most beneficial. This done, Jesus knew the trials of apprenticeship, discipleship, 
would appear to be the only reasonable path. The cost of non-discipleship then would be seen for what it is, unbearable. Accounting is not something that you mostly do with your feelings. My dad was an accountant. My dad was 100% Scandinavian. My dad was not a feeler. And when he was doing his accounting work, he studied to become a CPA. He would get his yellow legal pad out and there would be a spreadsheet. And then you list the assets and you list the liabilities and you think about them very clearly. Counting the cost is not something that you do in a deeply emotional way. You might know the comedian Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart uh, initially, actually, literally was an accountant. And he said one of the reasons he became a comedian was because the motto for his accounting work was, that's close enough. You don't want an accountant that says that's close enough. With an accountant, you want accuracy. You want precision. Now, one of the great problems that we have when we think about self-denial or language that is mostly lost to us, the mortification of the flesh, is we think, oh, it's just going to be miserable and involve activities that we engage in to make ourselves miserable or withhold ourselves from joy because God must be a joyless being. Dallas writes about one example of that, about how one of the great dangers is we turn self-denial into one more technique or job we got to do to save ourselves. He writes, a well-known Methodist evangelist of earlier years, Sam Jones, used to say that a dancing foot and a praying knee do not grow on the same leg. This might be a fairly good empirical generalization. It may be, as a matter of fact, that few prayerfully bent knees are on legs with a dancing foot. Still, just not dancing would hardly prove that you had abandoned your life to God. And I grew up amongst Midwestern Scandinavian Baptists who had given up dancing, but it didn't mean that there was a joyful, fervent, abandoned life of prayer and service to God. In the Bible, King David seemed to have a dancing foot that was attached to a praying knee. See, denial of self, the cost of following Jesus, is something that must be considered very, very clearly and very, very carefully And it will cost all I have. It will cost all you have. But then what's the gain? Dallas goes on. Consider one of his parables of the kingdom. Jesus said, The parable of the heavens is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and concealed. He was ecstatic. He sold everything he had and bought the field. Imagine you discovered gold or oil in a certain property and no one else knew about it. Can you see yourself feeling sad and deprived for having to gather all your resources and sacrifice them in order to buy that property? Hardly. Now you know what it is like to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like a man named Jed, poor mountaineer, who barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting at some food, and up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. Imagine Jed saying to himself, oh, this is awful i got to sell my old falling apart clothes and my old rusty rifle and my old jalopy that Barry runs. Probably all that stuff together is worth less than $100 to buy this property where there's gold. 
where it's going to make me a millionaire a hundred times over. Jed, are you kidding? <laughs> you think you're getting a bad deal to get rid of a pile of junk to receive what is beyond your what? And Jesus says, if anybody understands what it is to live now in the kingdom of God, they would see that. The cross we must take, Dallas writes, is laid upon all obsessive and partial desires so that the broad reach of agape love can integrate us as a whole and eternal life with God and man. So here's what I want to encourage you to do today is think about the cost of discipleship. I got out a yellow legal pad for this. What will it cost me to follow Jesus? Well, my time, my money, my ambitions, my relationships, getting my own way, getting to indulge all my desires whenever I want, however I feel like it, it'll cost all of that. And I need to be real clear about that. And then another thing I need to be clear about is, uh, what are the gains of discipleship? Like if I'm gonna just do a thorough accounting job, now this is not something that's a real emotional deal. This is just for very calm consideration. I will gain forgiveness and fellowship with Jesus. I will never be alone. I will get wisdom. I will live in a community of brothers and sisters. I will experience transformation. And although I have a long way to go, I've already tasted a fair amount of that. I will have the Holy Spirit of God present with me. I will have a purpose for this life and a hope beyond this death. So now you need to consider whatever you decide to build your life on, um, following Jesus or following some other way, because we all follow a way. We all must choose wherever we invest our time and our emotions and our resources, wherever we place our mind. We will all serve somebody or something. We will all be somebody's disciples. And then the other thought is, what's the cost of non-discipleship? If I decide not to follow this man, no promise of forgiveness, no divine guidance. I live at the mercy of my desire. I live with envy and resentment and discontent and ego and relational fracture and hiding and shame and dullness of conscience and no transcendent purpose. And that's the, that's the cost of non-discipleship. So I want to invite you now, sometime today, maybe write it down if it helps you, get out the yellow legal pad. Because you want to be real clear on this so that your decision, whatever it is, is built on something stronger than emotion in the moment. I want you to put on your accounting hat. I want you to be a little CPA. Close enough is not good enough. Count the cost of following. We'll get into this more as we go along. Count the cost of not following. God, be with you and with me as we do it. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. You can join the conversation and more by visiting becomenew.me slash subscribe.